Welcome to This Week on Broadway for Sunday, August 14th, 2022. My name is Matt Tamanini, filling in again for James Marino. Joining me on the broadcast today are Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter Felicia is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His newest book, The Book of Broadway, Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, will be released on September 1st, 2022, and can now be pre-ordered on Amazon. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Peter, with all of the books that you have put out at this point, do you still get nervous, excited when a new one comes out, or is this just old hat by now? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, As Zorba says in uh, the musical Zorba each time for the first time. So uh, now it's it's always great fun to open up that um, box and, and see what they look like, even though you know, they show us the cover in advance and all that goes with that. But sure, you know, I, frankly, um, even when I um, get books in the mail from other people, needless to say, I get very excited to see uh, what's going on. And in fact, what I was reading recently um is a book about the making of breakfast at Tiffany's the movie. And I was hoping there was going to be at least a line or two about um, the musical breakfast at Tiffany's that starred Mary Tyler Moore and Richard Chamberlain and produced by David Merrick and Abe Burroughs attached to it for a while anyway, and Edward Albee attached to it for a while. Not a word. Not a mm-hmm. word. You'd think he'd get into that, but uh, but the book's terrific. But anyway, no, uh, it, it it certainly never gets old. And um, frankly, uh, I'm looking forward to um, finishing up the next one, which of course started from this broadcast. Because um, I don't remember, Michael. Do you remember by any chance how this whole thing with trivia questions at the end of the broadcast started? I have no idea. I don't think I said to James, "Let's do it." Um, I I think he he started it, and uh, and suddenly I have all these questions that I'm uh, putting into a book. So do you remember, Michael, by any chance? I don't even remember for sure if you were already doing it when I started, I when, when Matthew was, was I on. Because uh-huh. uh, it's it's been so long now that I really it don't has. remember. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, uh, no, it never gets old. <laughs> no. Oh, and by the way, Peter, uh, yeah. I, I tried to help, but I, I guess you, you did it on your own. Um, I did ask Patty Mariano uh, if she was at the original cast album recording sessions for the Music Man in 1957. Um, and she said she was, which kind of surprised me because I thought maybe the kids yeah. weren't there because I don't hear them singing on the album. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, she said she didn't remember. Yeah. Um, again, I'll put this out to anybody out there who may have any connection with the Music Man back in 1957. Um, did they record at the uh, Manhattan Center at 311 West 34th Street? Um, I'm writing the liner notes for the new album, and um, I'd love to have that information because we do know the Tenderloin and um, the Unsinkable Molly Brown were recorded there, but that was 1960, uh, uh, more than a couple of years later. So, mm. um, so who knows? Who knows? Uh, it's still a mystery, and I'd love it to be solved. <laughs> well, if if anybody can uh, answer that for you, it is definitely the This Week on Broadway listeners. And you have already heard the dulcet tones of Michael Portantier. <laughs> Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He is the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared mm-hmm. in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Michael, are you going just normal voice for Harry the horse or are you doing some sort of uh, Runyon-esque accent for the role? Oh, I would say Runyon-esque, yeah. Okay. And we're, we're, we're all uh, 
kind of experimenting with that the other day. As I may have mentioned, the theater in which we'll be performing has uh, 3,000 seats. Wow. Um, okay. About 3,000. And we, there will be mics, <laughs> of course. Uh, but, um, you know, one has to speak in a kind of voice that one can project. I actually had been thinking of doing him as very um, kind of soft-spoken. Uh-huh. Uh, but I don't think that would work uh, even with Mike. So uh, we're probably going to go in a different way. All right. Well, we'll, by we'll the way, say the last Broadway revival, um, which was not uh, heralded, I thought yeah. it was really a great thing that uh, the Harry the Horse in that production um, done by Jim Walton, our hero from Merrily We Roll Along, um, sounded like it did like a Winnie type of thing with his voice. I thought it was very clever. That's to let you know how he became Harry the Horse. So I like that quite a bit. Well, I'm sorry I interrupted you. You were going to say something. No, no, it's fine, because actually I uh, I'm embarrassed to say I had I thought of that and I thought it was my idea. <laughs> but then I but then I I, I did see that show uh-huh. and at, at that production. And I do remember that at the time thinking that Jim was the best one in it. Yeah. yeah. He, he was one of the very few who had the style, yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I guess I just uh, sublimated the Winnie <laughs> and, uh, you know, forgot that I got it from him. So I thought it was my idea, but it was his idea or <laughs> or maybe the director's idea. But I doubt that. Um, and so actually, um, yeah, we're, we're going to see if we're going to steal that or not. Uh-huh. All right. We'll talk a little bit more about where people can hear Michael Portanti or whinnying on stage here uh, here in a little bit. But in a winning uh, performance. Uh, yes. Winning in a winning performance. There we go. Um, before we get into some reviews and discussions today, uh, I did want to pass along a message from James. Um, he was originally intending to be on the broadcast today. Um, but as some of you may know, uh, and he did ask me to share this, um, James is actually starting a chemotherapy treatment on Monday. He has been diagnosed with cancer. I'll let him discuss a lot of those details. He is getting some final labs and tests done on Sunday morning that took longer than he had anticipated. So he called me at about uh, 20 till 10 um, and asked me to jump in. So he did want me to pass that along. He is planning on being back next week, so you will uh, won't have to suffer through me hosting three weeks in a row, hopefully. But uh, he did want me to pass that along and let you know um, what's going on with him. He thought it was, in his words, it was time uh, to let everybody know. So uh, a lot of people, he has shared that with a few people here uh, in the early recordings beforehand uh, of this week on Broadway and, and talked with other people, but he did want me to pass that along before we get started today. So our thoughts uh, are with James and his family, and if you are somebody who uh, is prone to prayer, I'm sure he would appreciate that as well. Yeah, but in terms of uh, suffer through you, good Lord. Uh, you, this is just another example of how wonderful understudies are. Yes. Um, <laughs> I will so, uh, which, which we've been learning, um, you know, so much this past season if i am the max clayton to james's hugh jackman i will certainly take that but uh all right well well let's get into it i know peter michael both of you um because of what time of year it is there's just not a lot going on during the theatrical schedule here in mid-august although things will start to pick up here in just a few weeks um so let's start with the uh, the first and actually really the only theater proper thing that either of you saw this week and peter was over at uh, 59 east 59th it is on that day in amsterdam which is something i have to admit i don't know that i know a ton about i remember the name but i don't know anything beyond that 
It's written by a gentleman named uh, Clarence Koo, and um, it deals with uh, two gay guys who hook up for a one night stand. One of them is a virgin. He is definitely uh, the uh, native of Amsterdam. Uh, this is his first experience with anybody, and he is very, very glad to have had the experience. Well, um, his um, mate for the night, Kevin, is very experienced in sexual matters. He's done this a million times and um, enjoys one-night stands. But the offer expires once the morning comes. It's over. And, of course, um, the other gentleman, um, Sammy, is desperately in love with him. Uh, as happens so many times when um, you have that blush of first love. So so he really wants this to go on now and forever. And of course, uh, Kevin can't wait to get out of there and get on with his life, especially um, because this was his last night in Amsterdam and he was um, about to take a plane. And there's a little clunky thing that happens here because he says he has to take a plane at noon. Uh, and well, the other gentleman seems to find out, no, he's leaving later than he thought. Um, I, it seems like he looks at his phone and finds that out, but that seems a little strange to me. Anyways, it turns out his flight is delayed till late at night. So now he really figures, all right, okay, fine. You know, we'll, we'll spend the day together if that makes you happy. He's very <laughs> reluctant to do it. And what's, <laughs> what was kind of funny is the fact that um, the, the, Sammy says, well, we can do all sorts of touristy things. And that is another red flag. He said, I am not a tourist. I am a traveler. There is a difference. Well, the funny thing is that they wind up doing all sorts of touristy things that you do in Amsterdam, the Van Gogh Museum, the Anne Frank House, uh, other museums as well. So in a strange way, <laughs> the play that sort of indicates that um, being a tourist is a second rate type of thing to do, um, you become a tourist and so does um, so does um, Kevin, who finds out that touristy things, I guess, are good things to do. Now, there's a supporting cast that plays everybody. Um, Brandon Mendes, Homer, Elizabeth Ramos, and Jonathan Raviv do all these other people. Um, they even play Anne Frank and Van Gogh because that comes to life. So um, there are, because we're dealing with museums, there are a ton of projections. Now, here, I think there's a misstep. And um, I've had this experience once before in Cheltenham, Pennsylvania, where there was a theater many, many moons ago, where a director was doing a show about a plague uh, back in the Middle Ages. And he thought, oh, you know, it'd be great to indicate that everybody had to be really careful. Let's put out a, a scrim in front of the stage, cheesecloth, and um, that'll indicate that uh, you had to be really careful in those days or else you get infected. And of course, today, of course, that would be more relevant mm -hmm. uh, than it was then. But nevertheless, you had to strain to see through the cheesecloth, you know, and I mean, it really was not a very nice experience. Okay, here this, the same type of thing is happening. You definitely have an obstruction, a scrim, uh, in front of the stage so that the projections can be shown on them. But 
even though it's not cheesecloth and even though it's not nearly as severe as it was in Sheltonham, Pennsylvania, many moons ago, the fact is there is a remove there. And, and that is a distancing thing. And those projections would have been fine on the back wall. Um, I, I can't agree with this decision um, that um, certainly, um, again, nothing against Nicholas Husong, who, um, who did the um, projections. They're lovely projections, but I do believe that um, they would have been uh, well served on the back wall. I don't know if this was um, a decision made by Z Ali Khan, uh, the director, or if the playwright wanted it that way. I have no idea, but I I do think it takes us a bit out of the play, and I I do regret that it happened. What I don't regret happening, oh, I'm telling you, here we are talking about understudies. Um, I don't think this is an understudy situation, but for the second time in not much time. Ahmad Maksud has come to the rescue. Now, um, last year when an actor left The Visitor, uh, what I consider mm-hmm. a very underrated musical at um, the public theater, um, he had to step in <clears throat> and with no real rehearsal time at all. And I went very shortly after he took over and he was letter perfect. Well, I don't know what happened here, but he wasn't the original person doing this one either. But Whoa, boy, you know, I did a book many years ago called um, Broadway Musical MVPs, uh, which dealt with the fact that if there were rewards that they have in baseball, that um, they would be put into theater. So I included reliever of the year, which is what they give an award to every year to pitchers. Well, this guy would have to be the reliever of the year last year. And and even though the season has just started, boy, he's my recommendation for this year as well. Good Lord, how this guy is so good, so good, so phenomenal at taking over and giving performances that you really believe that he's had four weeks to prepare for. So really, really wonderful. Um, This does not mean that I think Len Marizo um was was um in second place because he gives a wonderful performance too he comes from a filipino background that's the character and um he has that world weary oh my god um what have i done this guy's in love with me how do i shake him what am i gonna do it'll never end um he has all that world weariness about him uh, but at the end of on the end of that day in amsterdam um it, it's a very different situation where he comes to appreciate uh where uh, so i guess the message of the play is there more, there's more to life than sex i guess that's true so uh <laughs> it's a situation that um is nicely warranted and i really really um had a good time at this play wondering where it was going to go and um, realizing that, yeah, uh, you know, I've, I've done all those touristy things in Amsterdam. Well, no, what I meant is I have done the Van Gogh Museum and I've done the <laughs> Not Not the red light district. Is that what you're saying, Peter? <laughs> well, I've walked through to be fair, you know, but uh, <laughs> that's the end of it. Now, <laughs> there's nothing, I, I don't think there's anything about the red light district in this show. That's really interesting, isn't it? I guess that's where they met. Who knows? But um no, neither the red nor blue light district. There's a blue light district too. Did you know that? I did not. I have never been uh, to Amsterdam. All right. Well, you do you do some uh, research to find out what the blue light district okay. is. I will. <laughs> so anyway, but in the meantime, yes, I can uh, recommend on that day in Amsterdam on a number of levels. But the highest level of all for me is I'm a Maksud. Uh, God love him. May he live to be a hundred. <laughs> Wonderful. That show is running at 59 is 59th through September 4th. It looks like so uh, that's part of their summer and fall season. And they always have very interesting stuff over there. So I'm glad that this was a, a winning one for you, Peter. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Michael, you, as you are want to do, got over to 54 Below a couple times this past week and saw a number of things, the first of which we actually talked about on last week's show, and that was the I Wish concert. Um, this is, as we said last time, been an ongoing series of things, but for people who aren't familiar with it, can you explain what the concept of the the concert is before you get into the specifics of this particular iteration? Yeah, it's put together by uh, the wonderful Alexandra Silber. Uh, and uh, I went uh, to see it for the first time this past Monday. Uh, but I guess, uh, Matt, you were already familiar with the series. Had you mm-hmm. actually seen any of them? I had not. Only because I'm friends with, with Al, I know that she'd been doing it for a while here or there. But I don't think it's like a it's not a regular monthly thing or quarterly thing. Just kind of when they have a spot in the schedule, they uh, they put that together. But uh, I have not seen it in person, although I, I would like to eventually. Right. Well, the full title is um, I Wish, colon, the roles that could have been. Uh, the, I'm sorry, I Wish, colon, the roles that could have been. And uh, so I guess that's pretty self-explanatory, although I <laughs> think um, it's kind of a loose concept because uh, in in some cases, at least at this performance, the people saying things that they had already performed. But um, on that note, um, and and in line with Peter, what Peter just said about understudies and people filling in, uh, they had at least one person not able to perform on Monday, and that was Sam Gravett. Uh, hmm. So they had to fill in. I think they had more than one person. Uh, I'm not sure who the other ones were who couldn't make it. Uh, and so they had to scramble a little bit, but it all worked out really well, as I'll, as I'll detail in a moment. Um, but Alexandra is the host and performer in this show. And it opened with a, a wonderful parody of the opening number from Into the Woods, which I, I guess is the title of that song, I wish. Hmm. Um, anyway, that that number, uh, I wish more than anything, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she uh, presumably she herself, I guess, maybe wrote these new lyrics uh, to that. And she was kind of naming the roles, some of the roles she would like to play. But uh, it, there's a wonderful moment where it got to instead of more than the moon, she's saying more than team moon. <laughs> 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 so it, it was a really, really clever whoever wrote it, whether it was her or someone else. And um, and despite the absences, uh, Alexander had a wonderful lineup from Monday, uh, beginning with Effie Ardema, who is the understudy uh, got it right this time for funny girl uh, she was the understudy for yeah. uh beanie yeah. feldstein uh and uh, i i believe is continuing as the understudy now for julie benko and i don't i don't know presumably if she will continue as the understudy for leah michelle yeah. and uh, and when when julie is doing it once yeah. a week yeah. after that starts um but she's really wonderful and she uh like julie um has a lot much better voice than Beanie Feldstein. Uh, so uh, I'm glad she got that little showcase. And then the other people in the show uh, were Nathan Lee Graham, who did a fantastic rendition of There's a Boat That's Leaving Soon for New York. Uh, he said that he almost got to play the role uh, at New York City Opera. He was offered the role, but then he uh, had to turn it down because a Broadway show came along. And I remember that Norm Lewis had told us that 
he had been offered to play that same role at the Metropolitan Opera and had to turn that down for a Broadway show. Um, so can you imagine having to turn down that role <laughs> in, in either of those venues? But, uh, you know, sometimes we have to look at the, the long haul. Uh, also in this show on Monday was Tom Sesma. Uh, the best. Um, the, yeah, just really great doing Buddy's Blues from Follies. Oh, how nice. Yeah. Uh, and it was just terrific. And then, um, as I said, they, they all had to scramble uh, to fill. So I guess Alexandra maybe got the idea uh, because Tally Sessions was already scheduled to be in the show. She thought, why don't we do the whole bench scene from Carousel? <laughs> oh wow! And, and not they didn't do the whole thing, but they did a big, huge, large chunk of it. And it was absolutely amazing. And I think it was um, part of the reason it was so incredible. They had amazing chemistry, but also I think part of that was because it was so uh, last moment. You know, sometimes when you rehearse uh, something a few times, it can lose its spontaneity. Uh, whereas if you just get to go through it once or maybe not even um, you're it's almost like it's actually happening uh, when you're relating to this other person on stage. So that was that was really exciting. Uh, and I think the audience felt the electricity of that because aside from the beauty of their voices and their acting ability, there was just that that whole um, spontaneity that you don't always get in a show. Uh, so I was really, really glad I, I went to see this and I certainly plan to put some other ones, uh, you know, future ones on my calendar. Uh, and, and I would advise everyone else to do that. Um, and then, yeah. And then I was back on Wednesday at, at 54 for row heart tramps show. Um, and uh, most of our listeners would know him for having played Prince Charles in Diana the ill-fated Diana musical. There was much discussion of that show, as you might imagine, especially since um, one of Rose guests was Jenna DeWall. I think he pronounced it Gina DeWall. Oh, yeah. I, I have had trouble with her name forever, and sometimes I've heard the W pronounced as a V, so mm. I am just going <laughs> to call her the artist formerly known as Princess Diana from now on. That is That is it. In which she was terrific. Anyway, yeah. go on. She really was terrific uh, in that. And she was great in this show as well. And then he had, uh, Ro had another um, cast member from that show, Nathan Lucrezio, uh, who played Andrew Morton in Diana. So, uh, but it was mostly Ro. Uh, he, he just brought the guests on at the end. And he was incredibly charming and funny. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed at, how how many of the people who do shows in this venue how they're how good they are as far as patter and uh performing in that kind of a venue because i've always thought that performing in a cabaret like that and speaking to the audience and performing as yourself is very very different from performing a character on stage in a in a musical or a play uh but a lot of people seem to be able to do both really well and he's one of them uh his opening number was you'll be back from hamilton uh -huh. so that's like the second time i've heard that song at 54 in the past two weeks <laughs> um and then uh he um, oh, he well, he did a lot of wonderful stuff, but I have to tell this story. He he told about auditioning for the notorious Daniel Fish production of Oklahoma uh, pre-Broadway. Where was it? Was it at Bard? 
Uh, it was yeah, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. Bard Summerscape yeah. before yeah, yeah, yeah. it went to uh, to Brooklyn. Yeah, right. And so he went into that uh, apparently not knowing anything about that ridiculous concept, uh, if you can call it that. So apparently he went in and sang, uh, oh, what a beautiful morning in a very traditional way. Uh, and he actually recreated that for us. And I think he was, you know, I mean, I think he was exaggerating a little bit in terms of the old fashioned quality of it and the way he was posing and and his facial expressions and things like that. So he sang it. Uh, that way. And but it was still lovely, you know, and then at the end, he said, I looked out and Daniel Fish had his head in his hands. And after I had finished, he looked up at me and said, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know why you're smiling. And Rose said, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the cattle. I'm looking at the corn. (laughs) (laughs) And and and, uh, the point was trying to be, uh, you know, uh, that Daniel Fish was trying to show how much more he knew about how this is supposed to be done than anyone else. But of course, the opposite is true. And I and I guess Rose told the story as, as sort of trying to make fun of himself, but I thought it came across as the opposite. I, for one, and I would much rather, you know, have seen him perform that song in the way he did it than in the way that uh, fit in with the quote unquote concept, uh, the deconstruction or destruction, as I might say, of Oklahoma that Daniel Fish wound up putting on stage at the Circle in the Square Theater. So that's, it's funny how, um, uh, how people can take different, uh, different things from the same story. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Oh, yeah. to me. <laughs> I, I guess we don't need to go back and ask what you thought of that revival, Michael. I feel like you've, uh, no, you've I'm, laid that yeah. bear there. Um, yeah. Well, uh, that is not the only thing that you saw. You also attended a, I would imagine fairly rare screening of the 1931 film street scene, which is based off of the Pulitzer prize winning play uh, of the same name. I'm familiar with it, um, but I don't know a ton about it and can honestly say I've never seen it. So what was the reason for uh, the screening if there was one and, and how did it go? Um, I, uh, Oh, it, it's part of a King Vidor retrospective. He's the director. The director yeah. Uh, a, a really great film director who started directing films in 1919. And uh, his career went certainly into the 40s. Uh, I, I, I didn't, I'm not sure when he died or when it ended. I, I didn't check that. And this is um, quite a rare film uh, that was made in 31. <laughs> so, you know, sound had only come in like a few years earlier. That's how old this movie is. Uh, and it is based on the play by Elmer Rice, which opened on Broadway on January 10th, 1929, and uh, closed on June 30th. Uh, and it's a real, for those of you who've never seen it, uh, or the opera that's based on it, the Court Vile Opera, uh, that's very, very closely based on it. Uh, to the extent of even taking a lot of the dialogue directly from it. Um, It's a real slice of life drama, or one might say melodrama, um, set in this one block uh, of New York. I think it's supposed to be the Lower East Side uh, at that time. And uh, it's this this play is so old that it literally has lines like, 
it isn't the heat that I mind so much. It's the humidity. And I kind of, you kind of feel like that's the first time anyone mm-hmm. said that, you know, <laughs> uh, and they, lots of things like that, 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 that you're like, Oh my God, are they really saying that? But back, you know, 90 years ago, <laughs> whatever that was, uh, it, it probably seemed like fresh dialogue sure. and it's a wonderful, um, uh, character portrait of all these different people in uh, in this melting pot of of New York on the Lower East Side with all different accents because they're from all different parts of the world, and it focuses on this one family that's really really having problems because the uh, the the man and his wife are not. Uh, they're they're not really doing well. There's a lot of jealousy on his part. He's a very, very cold, very, very um, frightening man. And uh, and it turns out that he's right to be jealous because his wife is indeed having an affair with someone. And that ends up in uh, a murder. So it's 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 kind of um, a really seminal piece in in many many ways and the movie because it's so old uh it, it's it's so you it has such an authentic feel about it the scenic design for the broadway production was by joe mielziner mm. uh but the and the film i think tries to recreate that uh there there's some uh actual footage of of new york uh in in 19 19- 30 or 31 uh, at the beginning and at the end, like kind of panning across uh, the skyline. Uh, you can see the Chrysler building. I don't think the, I don't think the Empire State Building was built yet um, because yeah, it, it was probably right before that because they don't show it. Um, and, uh, but the bulk of it is, is filmed on a, on a set. Uh, although, uh, in some cases, the set is so elaborate with an elevated train and everything, you could hardly believe it was a set. It must have cost them a whole lot of money. And that was in the height of the Depression. So I don't know how that even happened. But it's really um, a, a terrific movie as a as a time capsule, but also just to be able to enjoy it um, if, because it still packs a wallop, even though the situations in it have been seen countless times since then. And the cast is really terrific sylvia sydney plays rose morant um that's the daughter of the uh the family that which i was discussing and beulah bondi Mm. uh recreated her broadway performance as this really mean cruel natured gossipy woman uh really like not the kind of person you want to live with uh and she just did a terrific job in that and and so it must have been quite um quite a departure for her when she then played uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart's mother in It's a Wonderful Life, (laughs) (laughs) who was kind of the opposite of that character. Um, And uh, the other people in the movie, uh, I don't know how many of these names are still known because this was so long ago. William Collier Jr., David Landau plays uh, Frank Morant. He's the murderous husband. Matt McHugh, Russell Hopton, Greta Grandstead. Uh, I, I was really glad I got to see it because I think it's a rare film and certainly rare uh, to see it screened in a theater. And the Walter Reed Theater at uh, Film Society of Lincoln Center, if you haven't been, there is one of the best places left to see old movies like that. Um, so I, I'm really glad I saw it. But if you missed it, um, last time I checked, the entire film is on YouTube. 
and not a bad print. So right. I really would. And it's only and I have eight, it on DVD. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's only, by the way, it's only 80 minutes long. So it's a real kind of punch in the guts. You know, it doesn't give you time to kind of relax. Uh, and uh, so check that out, really. It's, uh, I'm, I'm prob- it's probably still on YouTube. Yeah. Well, uh, I often wondered if Bob Fosse and Fred Ebb uh, watched uh, that movie during the period of time when they were researching Chicago, because it is in that wheelhouse. And um, literally, Mrs. Morant is screwing the milkman. And yeah, um, it is exactly. it is a situation where um, Frank, her husband, does feel she has it coming. So um, there's a lot there. Yes, this is the 75th anniversary of the um, musical. Uh, well, the opera, um, mm. is what we should say. And uh, the Credit File Society has certainly uh, made a good deal of that. Now, what's interesting about that, I don't know if, you, uh, if our listeners know about this, but the Credit File Foundation has a wonderful newsletter they put out, I believe, four times a year that um, I think is something you should really pay attention to, um, especially, of course, if you like Kurt Weill, um, who uh, had two completely different sounds from when he was um, in Germany before he left um, during the Hitler regime and came to America and adapted pretty well to uh, to writing um, some uh, at least one real Broadway hit in One Touch of Venus, which ran a long time for those days. So, um, and uh, certainly wrote some very um, tuneful stuff for Nickelback Holiday and a very ambitious musical in Johnny Johnson um, and Lost in the Stars for that matter. Died much too young, only was 50. But um, Street Scene was really uh, an opera. Uh, there's no question. I've seen it at uh, New mm-hmm. York City Opera many, many moons ago. Yeah. And uh, it got very good reviews too. Um, and um, it, it lasted 148 performances, which of course doesn't seem like much, but um, for an opera, that's pretty good. Uh, that ran longer than Porgy and Bess originally did. Not a lot, but it did. So, uh, so really, um, it, it's, it was, it, it, considering what goes on in street scene, uh, it, it really was more for an opera than a musical. And, um, and the original um, Elma Rice um, certainly got involved as well. So um, quite, quite a, a thing. And I, I'd love to see a revival of it. I saw a revival of street scene, the play, not only at Northeastern University many, many, many decades ago, but also there was a wonderful company called Willow Cabin Company that um, <clears throat> did three Thornton Wilder plays and got Tony nominated for it. And we really thought they were going to be on their way. And then they tried Street Scene. And I'm sorry to say the reviews were um, a little harsh. I thought very harsh for considering the um, the scope of this. You know, this is a play with many characters and therefore required many actors. And um, I thought the critics should have been more appreciative. They were not. And that seemed to be the end of Willow Cabin Theatre Company. And I, I mourn that because I think they really were onto something about reviving um, old plays that uh, we need to see again. So I was sorry that they went um, bust. But um, yeah, you've, you've inspired me to watch Street Scene tonight, Michael. There we go. <laughs> By the way, the original production of the play uh, was at the Playhouse Theater. Uh-huh. And uh, the note on that uh, in IBDB is uh, Charles A. Rich was the architect. 
uh, built by William Brady, who was also the producer of Street Scene. Uh Um, It was the first theater to open on 48th Street. Brady managed it successfully until 1944 when he died and it was sold to the Schubert's. From 1949 to 52, it was an ABC radio station. Both the interior and the exterior were used in Mel Brooks' movie, The Producers. Yeah. In 1969, the theater was raised to build onto Rockefeller Center. Hmm. That doesn't sound right to me. That doesn't sound right because it's down the block. Yeah. It's down the block from yeah, there. Yeah, there is a building there. Now, of course, um, if you watch the, the original movie of The Producers, you do see... Um, the uh, German playwright driving up in his motorcycle and you do see behind it the marquee of the court. It actually says court. Uh, of course, you can't see that now. Oh, by the way, um, they've put up a bit of the marquee. I, I, I was walking by there the other day. So um, and it's a very old world style marquee for the new James Earl Jones Theater. So, um, oh, that's it, good. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're getting ready. And of course, we do have a booking, don't we? We do. Um, and that's a that's a great, great transition, Peter, because we're going to talk about some uh theater and casting news that we had this week and obviously you were mentioning the fact that otter mcdonald will be coming back to broadway in the ohio state murders um which is a play by adrian kennedy and i will say as an ohio state alum uh, i i Um, will just say i'm i haven't read this play although kennedy is also an ohio state uh alum uh so i i don't know how i should feel about this but Audrey McDonald back on Broadway is is never a bad thing. And that will be the first show to reopen the previously named Court Theater, as you mentioned, now known as the James Earl Jones Theater. Uh, that'll be coming up this fall, directed by Kenny Leon. I believe the first performances, as I'm pulling up an article to cur- uh, confirm here, um, will yeah, the first performance will be on November 11th and it will officially open on December 8th. Um, there were some other things we want to talk about, but obviously if either of you want to talk about either this play or the James Earl Jones theater uh, being renamed, uh, we are welcome to do that. That was just such a perfect transition. We couldn't pass it up. Well, um, I have to backtrack though and ask, um, obviously you were there many years after the uh, 1970 murders. Yes. Uh, the, well, uh, the, the, you're talking about at Kent state, the mur- that is that or the actual murders that are referenced in the play. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, no, no. I uh, was not there. I started at Ohio State in 1999 and uh, uh-huh. graduated in 2003. So I am not familiar with even the concept of of what is behind uh, this show at all. No, now, but well, well, first so, of all, uh, but ahead, can someone point. clarify before we go further? So was the name of the school changed? No. no, 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 no. I was just confusing. I thought I wasn't sure if he was talking about what was the, the reference of the play or the the famous protest, Vietnam War protest murders at Kent State. Right? Those are two different things. Kent State is also in Ohio. So it was just clarifying. How far away? Um, you know? Probably about an hour and a half to two hours. Oh, really? Um, okay, yeah, but far. yeah, like okay. the the was it the uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young song for dead in Ohio. That's Different thing, different, uh, uh, different school also in the same state, though. So we've had our share of uh, of not yeah. pleasant things in the state of Ohio in my in my home state. But uh, but uh, not familiar with the the because this is all based off of real stuff. Adrian Kennedy, who is 91 years old at this point, um, getting oh. her first Broadway production, um, oh. was a student at Ohio State. And I think this has to do with the fact that she. Um, came back and talked about something at Ohio State. I need to, I don't, I'm always torn on uh-huh. if I should read a play before I see it or not, know, or listen to a cast album, but uh, yeah, I'm a little torn on those things. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's funny, uh, uh, backtracking again, um, the um, statement that Michael had made about um, uh, it isn't the heat, is it the humidity? <laughs> uh, was that the first time that was ever said? Um, I, I remember um, when I saw Hair originally, there was the line, uh, the Vietnam War is the white man sending the black man to kill the yellow man to defend the land they stole from the red man. Mm. And I thought it was such a terrific line. And I wondered if indeed that... In, uh, that was written by uh, mm. Jerome Ragney and and or James Rado. And what was interesting to me is when the script came out, um, when it was published, that line was actually in quotation marks. Ah, so oh, wow. so so it actually let us know that um, the writers didn't write it. And I later heard that it's been attributed to Muhammad Ali. So um, I, I, I don't know, right. of course. Yeah. But um, but it's a, it's a terrific line. And, and that's certainly the other thing that came to mind was um, I have and I'm sure many of our listeners do, too. Um, a soundboard recording of The Sound of Music mm. from the original uh, Broadway production with Mary Martin and um, the famous line about when God closes a door, he opens a window. The audience laughs. And I really get the impression that that's the first time they've heard that expression. And I'm wondering if indeed Lindsay and R. Krauss actually wrote that expression because it, it, the audience laughing is what makes me think, whoa, is this yeah. a brand new line? Um, are they responsible? That line has been quoted so many times uh, since then. And again, I'm not sure. Now, that one in the script does not have uh, quotation marks around <laughs> it. But um, but I've often wondered if that's where that expression started. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, we have a few items from this past week's theatrical news that we wanted to talk about. And it seemed... Uh, like the theme of the week was major stars coming back to Broadway, either in interesting or um, unfamiliar roles. The first kind of news dump that we got was in the cast that will be, I guess, kind of taking over for this. I forget how many extensions they've actually announced at this point um, into the woods. They announced one extension and then a little bit more and all that stuff. But um, we have almost an entirely new principal cast coming into into the woods beginning on September 6th. It will be led by real life husband and wife, Stephanie J. Block and Sebastian Arcellus as the Baker's wife and the Baker, respectively. They will be joined by Krista Rodriguez as Cinderella. Uh, Montego Glover will be alternating in the role of the witch with Patina Miller. Patina will be playing the role. Fridays through Sundays. Glover will be playing Tuesdays through Thursdays. Um, and then we also have uh, Katie Garagetti as Little Red Riding Hood and Jim Stanek coming in as the steward. Um, everybody else will mostly stay in the cast. Anne Harada, who uh, was mm -hmm. phenomenal as Jack's mother at Encores, will be coming mm -hmm. back to play the role beginning on September 27th. And then for a very short period of time, we have Andy Carl stepping into the role of the wolf and Cinderella's prince just for September 6th through the 15th, as Gavin Creel has a prior commitment. I saw Cheyenne Jackson do the same thing the last time uh, Creel was out <laughs> for a previous uh, commitment. So obviously, some of these extensions and I mean, I think everybody at this point either assumes or knows the unofficial word that this will be running through January 8th through the holidays. There's no way it couldn't at this point with how well it's selling. Um, so I don't know if these these folks will be playing through the holidays or if we'll get another casting change in the meantime. But uh, certainly if you're going to replace an all-star cast doing 
another completely all-star cast certainly will get people excited. Um, so, Michael, what are your thoughts on this group coming in uh, to take over on September 6th after after the Labor Day weekend? Well, my first question is, uh, so in other words, you're just assuming that they wouldn't bring all these new people in if they were only going to be in it for a couple of weeks, right? Yeah, c- currently it is only scheduled to run through October 16th. If the right. word on the street and by just the basic business sense of looking at the box office sure. grosses um, doesn't tell you that it's running, I'm not guaranteeing, I'm not reporting anything, but I think if you want to see it in, in mid-October through early January, I am almost I, I can almost guarantee that that will be something that you will be able to do. Yeah, I agree with you. I do wonder um, why they s- still haven't announced an extension through mm-hmm. the end of the year, but I'm sure they have their reasons. Uh, it, it really is so fascinating. I've said it before how how this production has been embraced just mm-hmm. like incredibly so uh it just seems like the right show at the right time and the cast at city center was so phenomenal but they're doing an excellent job of replacing them all uh Mm -hmm. and and as someone wrote the other day it really does seem to be at this point it seems to be the show not the cast that's really selling the tickets uh of course the cast adds to it but um but people love this property. And, and as, as I also mentioned, I, I had been unaware of how very, very often the show is done in oh, yeah. uh, non-professional settings, community theaters and schools and, and uh, all of that. And Peter mentioned how he had somebody had once told him that no school would ever do it. Uh, ever. No, yeah. <laughs> no grammar school would ever do it. You know? <laughs> uh, but so much for that. Right. Um, I, I, I think it's great. I, I I'm happy about all those new announcements. I, I'm particularly happy for Sebastian Arcellus, who I thought was so charming Mm -hmm. in Elf. uh, And he hasn't worked that much. I don't know. um, uh, He is married to Stephanie Block. I forget if you mentioned that. Uh, I I don't uh, I don't know about their personal life. So maybe he hasn't worked that much because she she's been working well, constantly and he's been like uh, are there children to well to- he, he's a, he's been on television he was on the, the cbs show madam secretary he was one of the regular cast members on that show for its entire six season run with wow. uh taya leone and patina miller was in it as well and oh. um uh one of the uh i think bb newworth was in it as well um so lots of theater people were on that show so he was one of the the main cast members on that show for a number of years so that's why he's been away from theater at least uh in part but that's been, i think that was canceled probably had its last episode probably in 2021 uh but he was busy doing that uh for a long time uh, oh yeah, I mean, I wasn't aware he was on that, but I didn't know he he was yeah, on it for the length the of it, and, and, mm-hmm. and I didn't know it was that long. Well, that answers that question. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I do yeah. want. I wonder, not to cut you off, but you talk about how this show has been embraced, and I wonder if either of you have thoughts about. You know, I think this show, as you rightly said, is so well known and so beloved. One because it's done everywhere, but also I think part of that is because of the uh, that original capture that was aired on PBS and played in every chorus and drama class around the country for decades at this point. But I wonder if kind of the simplistic concert-like staging, although there is staging in this, but I wonder if just the straightforward, for lack of a better term, park and bark presentation of this performance is really just allowing people to revel in the work uh, and the words and the performances that, you know, obviously the last time we saw it in New York at Shakespeare in the Park, it 
didn't have as good of a reception. Even the previous revival on Broadway wasn't as well received. I I wonder if kind of the simplicity of this presentation, along with the star-studded casts, plural at this point, I wonder if that has gone a long way to really endear it to the community, especially with the passing of Stephen Sondheim. I wonder if people are just really appreciating, yeah, yeah, really Um, appreciating the work on its own merits. Yeah, all of the above. And uh, remember that play that David Ives adapted from Mark Twain called Is He Dead? about the fact that an artist who pretended to be dead so that his work would be Mm -hmm. um, better appreciated, both um, in terms of reputation and money. Um, As craven and crass as it sounds, uh, we have to acknowledge the fact that when we, a lot of people don't appreciate people until they die. And um, I do think this is a factor. Wouldn't it be ironic if indeed this turned out to be the first Stephen Sondheim musical? to pass a thousand performances yeah Uh, none did none did the longest running was funny thing even into the woods did not didn't make it to 800 so um so it wouldn't it be something and it's not impossible really uh and uh, the thing is that i've talked to so many actors over the years and i say what part would you love to do and quite often into the woods comes up oh i'd love to play the baker's wife and, uh, you know, the first time they said that, I got confused. I thought they meant the Stephen Schwartz musical, The Baker's <laughs> Wife, you know, and I said, whoa, that's great. Oh, I love you. And then a few seconds later, realizing what they're talking about. But um, yeah, I, I don't think it's possible. This is going to be here for a long, long time. And it'd be great if it were a genuine um, rotating uh, cast mm-hmm. uh, going in here, there, and there. And, and, you know, people love to collect performances when that happens in favorite roles. So, uh, and I think that'll happen here. I'm very excited about Krista Rodriguez as Cinderella. That was um, that I, was the one that most interested me because she does not too? fit. Yeah, she does not fit what you normally think of in that <laughs> role from a vocal style. I'll grant you that, but um, I've always been in, um, so fond of her performances, especially mm-hmm. in a play that uh, I think it was called Seared with Raul Espazo. Oh, so good at MCC. Yeah. Boy, you know, I mean, I really thought we were going to see that in the Golden Theater um, in two months later, but I don't know what happened. But uh, she was so wonderful there playing somebody who's coming in to rescue the restaurant. And um, and, and she <laughs> is met with all sorts of scorn at every turn. And she doesn't care. She, she has the answers and that's all there is to it. So... Um, so that's where I really fell in love with her. And um, and certainly Montego Glover, who was so wonderful in Memphis. You know, I mean, that's uh, really uh, good to have her there, too. By the way, how was Cheyenne Jackson? Phenomenal. I, oh, I he was great. Yeah. yeah. When I saw the show at Encores back in May, I have to say, I, Gavin Creel, and I've said this on other Broadway video shows, Gavin Creel was really the weak link for me. And I love Gavin. I've seen him in multiple shows before, but really he wasn't doing much. And I don't know if this is a difference in the production. Maybe they spiced up that role a little bit more um, for the transfer, but there was a lot more going on for both Cinderella's Prince and the Wolf. And Cheyenne was chewing every little bit of scenery that there was on that stage. And it was delightful. So he was great. I've heard that a lot of that was what Gavin was doing as well, but he had not done it at Encores. Um, So I I don't want to necessarily disparage that as Gavin not doing anything and Cheyenne doing everything. But it it was a stark difference between the two in what I saw. But I also, with this new cast, assuming they do extend for the next time that I'm in town in November, I'm going to have to say I can't at this point not see this cast, I feel like. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have to say that one of my great theatrical tragedies uh, in my lifetime <laughs> was uh, when Cheyenne was going to perform at the Theatre World Awards, which I emcee every year. Mm-hmm. And um, that morning he called up and said, I can't do it. Um, I, I got a job and I really have to take it. And we understood, of course. But the thing was, I was going to introduce him saying, um, here's Cheyenne singing the song from the part he really wanted to play when he was a kid, but he never got a chance to to play it and he was going to sing tomorrow because he said he always wanted oh. to be Annie. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, speaking of roles that um, would be a little bit uh, uniquely cast, another bit of big news that we had this past week is that we got a, I guess the third official uh, person to take over the role of Hermes on Broadway in Hadestown. We, of course, originally had Andre DeShields. He was replaced by T. Oliver Reed. And beginning on September 13th, the legendary Tony Award winner Lilius White is set to take over the role um, in to me, feels like such incredible casting that a lot of shows tend to avoid. They tend to just kind of keep plugging people into these preordained roles. Everything is frozen. We don't get a lot of of, of changes in terms of how roles are presented. But I would imagine that this will need to have keys changed and a lot of other things that will be different from how either Andre or T played this role. Um, but very rarely do we see the role change from a man to a woman, especially whatever i mean pandemic excluded three years into a into a run but uh this is fascinating and probably something else that is going to get me back into the walter kerr theater to see it again on broadway yeah that's a good point uh i only saw hades town once and i don't have the album actually but seems to me that a lot of that character's numbers involve the chorus and so uh changing keys won't be as easy Mm -hmm. as if it were a lot of solos yeah, and and she's obviously going to approach it with a much different vocal sensibility, I, oh, I imagine, sure, yeah. than Andre does. So um, I think it's fascinating. And um, we had talked on uh, today on Broadway about the very few times off the top of my head that we could think of um, women replacing men in shows or men replacing women. Obviously, there's the famous funny thing happened on the way to the forum right. with Whoopi yeah. Goldberg taking over. Right. And then Rob Johnson, who's in the, the Zoom chat right now, had mentioned um, uh, Susicle with Rosie O'Donnell uh, right. coming in to play, I guess, the, the cat in the hat. Are, right. You two are both wells of knowledge. Are there others that we can can think of like I this? I have one right off. Um, whose life is it anyway? Right. Uh, yeah, was, Tyler origin- Moore was originally Tom Conti, right? Right, that's right. And then it was Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. did happen. And uh, and of course, uh, while it's not the same production, the aforementioned Patina Miller um, yeah. playing the leading player. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but your point is really uh, about who took over during the original production. And uh, funny, I was just about to say the Mary Tyler Moore thing, too. Um, and uh, th- that was a big event back then, believe me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a big event indeed. So, uh, yeah, the funny thing was a funny thing because, um, of course, uh, there is that scene where all the courtesans come out um, and um, Pseudolus is more interested in, in the courtesans he's seeing than Hero is, who is only interested <laughs> in one who doesn't show up. So I was wondering how they were going to um, to handle that. And I thought they handled it rather well because Whoopi Groberg was essentially saying, wow, boy, um, I understand that these women are really very attractive. It's not that she was attracted to them. It was just a case that she appreciated pulchritude. So, um, mm-hmm. so I thought that was a very clever way of handling yeah. Well, we will see what kind of changes they make to uh, to Hades Town. Obviously, 
Um, Rachel Chavkin will be involved with that. She put out a statement about how over the moon she is that Lilius is stepping in. And uh, we will see what other changes um, pop up in that one. The last little bit of news that I want to mention that I figured you two might have some thoughts on was the uh, official Broadway cast of the upcoming uh, transfer revival production of 1776 that had previously played in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the, at the American Repertory Theater. Joining the production will be Carolee Carmelo as John Dickinson. Of course, Carmelo previously played Abigail Adams in the 1997 revival, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think was also a roundabout um, revival, if I remember correctly. And then, right. yeah, and then she also played John Adams in a, a 54 below all female um, concert oh, production right. yes. as well. So she has a, a long history with this one. And while Dickinson is not necessarily a role that I would think would show off Carolee's uh, specific vocal talents, um, I think it's wonderful to have her in this and really probably with you know no offense meant to the rest of the cast, the biggest name in terms of Broadway folks in this company coming to Broadway in, I guess, from this point in a month and two days. Did either of you check to see who was playing the role in Cambridge? I did not. I did not. But I can do that while you talk about it, if you would like. Yeah, I was but, wondering uh, if it was frankly, any. I thought it was going to be um, the Cambridge cast. I had no idea that there was going to be any. Mis- uh, I believe that's the only one. I, th- I believe that's the only mm-hmm. change in Nancy the cast. Nancy Anderson, right? Isn't Nancy Anderson involved? Um, yes, Nancy Anderson is playing George Reed. Um, yeah. uh, Becca Ayers is Perry. yeah. Becca Ayers is still playing McKeon. Uh, Crystal Lucas Perry is playing John Adams. Um, uh, Joanna Glushak is is Stephen Hopkins. Yeah, pretty much everybody is the same from the Cambridge production except for Carolee coming in. But I will. Uh, actually, oh, let me say this. Take this back. Okay, Glushak starred as John Dickinson in the in the Massachusetts production. She is remaining with the with the show, but taking over as Stephen Hopkins, which had oh. been played by Allison Briner Darden at ART. Um, but she is no longer with the production. So Glushak is transferring uh, with the show, but in a different role. It seems like so. Oh, okay. Thanks for looking that up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So interesting. But I I love Carolee Carmelo. So anytime we get her back on Broadway, that seems like a good thing. Agreed. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> oh, let's. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Well, let's move on here. We wanted to uh, hit a few other things before we get out. I'm going to table the discussion on the illegal Hamilton because that just seems like a can of worms that doesn't need to be opened, especially as we don't exactly know what's going on. Um, but I do. Maybe wanna... when we have more information. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but. You both have things coming up that I wanted to at least give you a chance to discuss and inform us a little bit about. Peter, we mentioned at the top of the show um, your new book coming out in just about two and a half weeks from now. Um, For folks who um, have not yet pre-ordered it, which they absolutely should, um, obviously the title is very descriptive about what it is, the book of Broadway musical debates, disputes, and disagreements. But can you give us a slice as to how what this book is is looking at how it's formatted how they can are you going to be being the final word on these debates and disputes and disagreements or how does that format hardly hardly um no uh this this i will say that um this is really for completely dedicated musical theater fans you know and all of us um hate at least one musical that everybody else loves and we love Uh at least one musical the most everybody else hates um and we all can give scores of reasons why we hate or love certain scores and (laughs) 
uh, for most of us, you know, well, just let anyone try to convince us otherwise, you know. So, I mean, we learn early on that we can't agree on everything. And um, when a bunch of us get together and start trading opinions, <laughs> you know, even if we occasionally see eye to eye, that counts to me as one of the hundred million miracles that happen every day. So, um, so you know, it's going to be a book where people are going to say, what? How could you possibly think that? Oh, how could you possibly leave out? You know, did you simply ignore or just forget? Are you kidding? Um, so there's going to be a lot of that. What I do is I structure the book like the Tony Awards. Whatever question I ask, I then give most of the time four nominees and one, uh, so to speak, winner um, that uh, I really believe to be uh, the case um, with um, what is the most underrated musical of each decade. I only choose one because I go into detail on that one, why um, I feel that way. But for most of them, as I say at the beginning of the book, this is not the book to find out uh, plot synopses you do in that section, but not uh, because they've been done to death. You know, I, nobody needs to know the plot of how to succeed in business without really trying. We all know it. There's been two revivals in, in recent times. Um, so there's a movie. Uh, so nobody needs me to say uh, Finch is a window washer, blah, blah, blah. So I come up with a completely different um, aspect of how to succeed that I don't think many people know. So uh, we'll see if uh, people will say, what are you talking about? I know that. Um, but I ask questions like, what's the best jukes? jukebox musical what's the best gay musical um what musical has had the best revival um questions like that and um as i say I answer them myself what musical had the worst trouble en route to broadway uh is is certainly a question um what element of a broadway musical has become known to even to people who know nothing about broadway um do you know that proud of your boy um hard to believe that this song has become the theme of the proud boys yeah that's where they got their name yeah, yeah. it's crazy is it really yeah yeah i and did you, not know that yeah and the thing is that at first we might assume that one of their members had a kid who incessantly watched the movie on dvd but it's uh, not in the movie made, it's exactly not in, yeah no so proud of your boy um which Alan Menken and Howard Ashman wrote for the film, but was cut before the release, only came back in the stage musical. Right. So did the person who proposed this name overhear it when his son or daughter played the original cast album? Or did one Proud Boy actually see the show? Could there be a show queen among the Proud Boys? I, mean, <laughs> I, I, just, I, I think there's there's some actual reporting on this uh, out there. If people and I don't I don't want to say the details because I don't know them off you know completely. But I've I've read I think a New York Times or Washington Post article is that right? uh, about okay. this. The I believe the founder of that organization, which we don't need to give too much publicity to, um, has been ousted uh, since then. But uh, but I think that I think your I believe your. Uh, your your assumption that there was a uh, a a theater lover in the ranks was <laughs> was spot on so uh -huh. uh, so we can get into that but well that's fascinating i can't wait to see this book and see the answers to these questions and how you uh, choose a winner and what the nominees are. So uh, very much looking forward to that. Michael, something else that we're looking forward to is your aforementioned turn as Harry the Horse um, coming up in September. Um, tell us a little bit in the Wings Theater Company out in Staten Island. Uh, tell us a little bit about the show, this company, um, you know, this pr production that you were already, as you mentioned, in rehearsals for. 
Well, they've done some wonderful shows in the past that I've seen. And I, uh, as I mentioned, I wanted to do this show because A, I've never done it, believe it or not. Uh, B, I really wanted to work with the director. And C, we will be performing in the St. George Theater, uh, which is literally about a 10-minute walk from the ferry. Uh, and it's an old movie palace that I really had thought would be gone by this point. It was in disrepair for many years and and not used. Uh, but then someone took it over for initially uh, for a dance uh, studio. <laughs> uh, and uh, now it's been renovated step by step in, in, in various stages over the years. And um, uh, in fact, it's due for another renovation uh, and that's one reason why this show is being done now. It was supposed to have been done at uh, uh, later, I think, but they uh, they wanted to uh, they scheduled this other renovation, so they moved it up. Uh, so I'm really uh, really excited about it. And I uh, yeah, one thing I've been doing recently is uh, you know there are all those references in the script, in the lyrics and in the in the dialogue uh, to places in the city uh, in New York, you know, in in right in New York. And I've been looking them up to see. Uh, so McCluskey's bar, I, you know, I, I that yeah. that doesn't seem to exist anymore. Um, PS 84. There is a PS 84 up on 92nd Street. <laughs> so it could be that one because, uh, you know, I mean, the, the crap game has to move around. Yeah. Right. And there's so, there's almost certainly a lock on the door there at this point. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what? Oh, the other two things. Um, the uh, the Save a Soul mission, which, of course, is supposed to be the Salvation Army, but they couldn't mm -hmm. use the name, mm -hmm. uh, is said to be at 409 West 49th Street. <laughs> and I went there the other day to check out to see what was there. And uh, it's actually uh, where that would be is the playground of a of a of a, you know, a, a school that was built much later, I guess. Uh, but right next to it is 407 West 49th Street, which is a really old building. So that, uh, you know, who knows, there might have been uh, a Salvation Army there at one time in the 30s uh, or, or or the 50s. And uh, and as it is, there is a, currently a Salvation Army on 47th Street, not far from there. Um, but then the last one that I looked up is the Biltmore Garage, because hmm. uh, I remember that next to what used to be called the Biltmore Theater and is now the Friedman Theater, there uh, there is a, a parking garage. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that as, uh, as of a few years ago, it still said Biltmore on it. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. And now it's like ABS parking or something like that. But I took a photo of that and it's, it's a really old building that looks like that that might have been Joey Biltmore garage. So uh, wow. so that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And, uh, I love that. I and maybe we'll that. find some other places around around the city. Of course, uh, they, well, they mentioned Mindy's uh, yeah. Cheesecake, which is supposed to be Lindy's because they didn't, yeah. couldn't use that name. Sure, sure. Um, uh, so it's fun to to do something that's a, a musical that's set where you live, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I wonder if it's a case that they couldn't use uh, Lindy's. Or if you say Lindy's, you don't get a laugh. But if you say Mindy's, you know, the people who know Lindy's in that in 1950 when the show opened laughed. So you might as well get a laugh out of Good it. Point. So, you Good know, point. So it might be that as opposed. And, um, yeah. And I wonder if that was 
from the Runyon original, which I have on the bookshelf. I, I'll go look look it up. I wonder if that was oh good point. Uh, in, you know included in the original short stories or if that was something that was changed for the musical. But either way, it's fascinating. A great uh, opportunity, Michael, for you to go around town collecting trivia, which is my very <laughs> not so subtle segue into Peter's uh, trivia section for the week. Peter, do you want to want to remind us what the question was from last week before getting into the new one? She won a Tony in a musical where she appeared in just one scene and duetted in just one song. The song was obviously of great importance to her, for she ensured that when she died, that its name would be carved on her headstone. Who is she? What's the song? In what musical did she sing it? The Grass is Always Greener, the song that Marilyn Cooper, born 1934, died 2009, sang with Lauren Bacall in Woman of the Year, for which both won Tonys, is on her headstone in Mount Judah Cemetery in Ridgewood, New York. Steve Bell was the first to get it three minutes before Tony Janicki did. Juliet Green, Green, excuse me, Juliet Green, she deserves uh, to be pronounced properly. Brigadood, Paul Witte, J. Aubrey Jones, Jim White, Mike Meany, Sean Logan, Jeff Olenga, Deb Popple, Nikki Juven, Isaac Blevins, Michael Wannis, Jack Hickman, Phil Bond, and Robert Lobiondo. All knew the answer. How in the world did all of these people know that answer? I am flabbergasted by how many people. Oh, we have smart listeners. We do. We do. Much smarter than me. Let's see how smart they are this week. A musical from 1918. Bear with me. A musical from 1918 with a score by a very famous composer lyricist who eventually won a Best Score Tony for another show. Many years later, obviously. The musical from 1918 has a three-word title. The first word, and even the second word, is the nickname of a very famous lyricist. What's the musical? Who wrote the score? And who's the lyricist? I know it. (laughs) Uh, Okay. You all are much smarter than I am, so I will defer to you and all of the wonderful listeners for the answer on that one. Um, Michael, that brings us to your musical moments that will be the opener and closer of this episode. And they do have a very sad theme this week, unfortunately. Yeah. uh, uh, Some time ago when Bobby Rydell died, I mentioned that it it, it was kind of fascinating case because he was someone who, although he never did a Broadway musical, was kind of uh, pivotal uh, to lovers of Broadway musicals for two reasons, because he played the role of Hugo Peabody in the tremendously popular film version of Bye Bye Birdie. Uh, But then also he had lent his name to Rydell High School in Greece. And speaking of Greece, yes, um, many, many people were very, very sad by the death of Olivia Newton-John this past week, who again, never did a Broadway musical, but she played the role of Sandy, um, uh, whose last name I believe was changed from Dombrowski Mm -hmm. to uh, something that I can't recall. Duncan. no, Duncan. not Sandy Duncan. No, that would be too, uh, that would be too silly. <laughs> Duncan. <laughs> she played the role of Sandy in the tremendously popular, uh, although I can't stand it, uh, film version of Grease. <laughs> Olsen. Olsen is the name. O-L-S-S-O-N. Uh-huh. Right, because she was supposed to be uh, from uh, Australia. Australia. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so that alone uh, kind of makes her legendary in the musical theater canon. But also, um, I'm not sure how many people know about this, but Olivia made an absolutely beautiful 
recording of Don't Cry For Me Argentina that was on an album uh, that she made called Making A Good Thing Better. And it's with the original orchestrations in the original key. Uh, and so that is our closer uh, for today in honor of her. And our opener is Summer Nights from Greece, uh, where, where you may also be able to hear a little bit of a sort of unknown fella named John Travolta. <laughs> well, those are two girls. I've never heard the version of Don't Cry For Me Argentina, so I'm uh, very excited to mm. to hear that. Well, if you have answers um, for Peter's trivia question, you can send in those responses to trivia at broadwayradio.com. Um, and also let us know what your favorite Olivia Newton-John uh, performances and songs are, if you would like, you can send that to, I believe, info at uh, broadwayradio.com would be a good email address for that. Uh, but we thank you for listening this week and every week. Um, we send our best out to James and uh, assuming he will be back next week to uh, to write the ship uh, that I've been handling for the past two weeks. I appreciate you two allowing me to come along for the ride. It is always fun to sit and it. chat with you. And um, we will talk to you next week. Have a wonderful week. And uh, we will see you at the theater, I suppose. I suppose so. Good. Yes. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I never invited them in Though it seemed to the world They were all Solutions they promised to be. The answer was here all the time. I love you and hope you love me. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Every word is true